You ready? Yep. How about you? Yep. Start it up. Welcome to episode 44 of Van Top, brought to you by the Big Red Van. From time to time, we do like to talk about one topic with cultural relevance. So this week, we discuss the cultural phenomenon, the guru. Where did they come from, and what religions even have them? We also talk about a few famous gurus, some who have done some great things, and some who, well, we'll get into that. But they all use a similar, linear, spiritual hierarchy to achieve big, ambitious things. So now, all the answers and plenty more, welcome to the Big Red Van. All right, man, let's uh, continue the night on. We got another half a bottle of wine to drink. Oh, yeah. So if we slip up a little bit or a little swirzy with our words, don't you judge us one bit. I can tolerate my wine. But this this is going to be a lot of fun. You and I have both been doing some reading. We talked a few episodes back about how we're going to be bringing up a van top soon. Right? Ta-da! Ta-da! So we wanted to bring in uh, something that maybe you've heard something about, maybe you haven't. You and I have been watching similar Netflix shows. We have. So the ones that are both just one episode or a series of them, trying to kind of keep up with each other, putting pressure on to keep up because we can't really go ahead or you can't be that far behind and make the other weight on you. That's <laughs> I think that's the one thing about watching series television with other people. Oh, yeah, that's... that's uh... Because there's a, so many shows that me and Deanne have to watch together. Like, For sure. I, there's no way in hell I'm allowed to go ahead and watch something without her there. And you use the keyword, allowed to. Yeah. yeah it's like <laughs> it's this binding agreement that you have. It's yeah. just you're not doing it and you can't do it. And if you did, how the hell dare you? Yeah. You're setting our relationship on fire by doing things like that, <laughs> right? So there's like a big time TV commercial that showed a couple sitting on the couch watching an episode of Game of Thrones and the boyfriend or girlfriend was trying to act really surprised at a, a certain part, and <laughs> the other could tell that they, they cheated and they watched ahead. So Yeah, that's dirty. You don't do that. It's definitely a thing, but we watched um, some episodes of Wild Wild Country. Yeah, finally got around to it. Unreal, it that show. Uh, they, they, they're they going to win awards, I hope, for I that. I hope they do. That was good stuff. The way that they composed it, the way that they told the story, it was incredible. The level of people they got yes. involved. Because, like, there was a, a documentary already done about uh, Rajneesh Param. Right. Um, done in 93. Uh, it was, it was I forgot who made it, um, but uh, it came out in 93. And, like, the only big name person they have is the lawyer. Um, you know, the guy that's with him all the way to the end and moves back to India with him. Right. Like, his main lawyer. Right. He's the only high-level person, probably because he's the only one that didn't commit a crime. And his, you know, just, I mean, that was shortly after he didn't have yeah. access to anybody. Yeah, um, but but of course, all the other high-level people involved that are like living in other countries and all that sort of stuff, like that documentary found everybody for sure. You know what I mean? Like they they were all across the and world. I wonder how much they had to pay him, you know, to, oh, God, to for talk their story and things like that. Either way. It was worth it. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. I was literally drawn to it. Like, could not put it down. Uh, one of those things. Just knowing that I couldn't go too far ahead of you was kind of what made me put it down. But it brought up the discussion of gurus. Mm-hmm. So we watched some other shows. We did some reading. And you and I are both extremely 
uh, interested in this topic, and we thought that it would be something that maybe others would be too, or maybe they hadn't heard anything about it. So we can officially call this Van Top. Van Top. Gurus. Guru. What is a guru? So we're going to go right into it, and we're going to break down it a little bit, give you an, an explanation of what one is, uh, kind of the historical timestamp of when a guru, like, it was shown kind of when they you know, show it showed up in history, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And then, uh, break it down a little further, give you some examples, some pop culture examples of some ones that were things like that. So why don't you start us off? With, right on, right on. Was a guru. So uh guru is a word from Sanskrit. Um, that is someone who is a teacher, a guide, an expert, or a master, um, of any certain knowledge or field. So it wasn't necessarily strictly religious, um, I think it carries a strong religious connotation it to it in it, history. It definitely does. It de- by strict definition of the word, it doesn't have to be. Um, but as a noun, the word means the imparter of knowledge. Um, and I think, what is it like? The what has that word break down? It was goo means... Goo means spiritual ignorance or darkness. Okay. So in the rue part of the word stands for the radiance of knowledge that dispels that ignorance. So combining it together, it 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 talks about it's both. Yeah, you know, it's the both the darkness and then the knowledge to bring you out of the darkness. It gives you the light, the it, the imparter of that knowledge, as in what it says as a noun, as an adjective, which I thought was kind of cool. It actually like when they use the word guru as an adjective, it means heavy or weighty. Um, but they also get that from it being heavy with knowledge or heavy with spiritual wisdom. Um, or heavy with a wealth of knowledge, which I thought was kind of cool. You, you can use the word guru as an adjective of something. That's pretty cool. I mean, I've read something that said it's like very different from a teacher or a preacher and that they are a beacon of spiritual light in the world and teach the universal principles that underlie all religions and cultures. So that would kind of go in line with what you just said. For sure. also thought this was cool. Um, Sanskrit also has a cognate word. Do you know what that is? Like uh, refrigerator is refrigeradora, like in Spanish. The words sound the same, but they're two different languages, but they have words that sound similar. Okay. Um, that's what a cognate is. And um, Latin um, has the word uh, gravus, which means heavy or weighty. Um, and in Greek, they have barus, which is heavy. And, like, you know, I'm probably not pronouncing those right. Okay. But they probably, like, their root words of where they were formed also come from the word guru okay um i guess is what i'm trying to say there in a roundabout way um but the oldest references of guruism if you will or the concept of a guru are found in the vedic texts of hinduism which were said to be written by the hindu god brahma himself so these are like super holy texts but a cool fact about the vedas is they are like literally some of the oldest texts in existence of anywhere on the earth way back for sure um, i think we talked about on a prior episode how old sanskrit and cuneiform yeah. and all that is oh yeah um but one of the most famous stories of the vedas which i think this is awesome is the Mahabharata, which actually has the full flood story um as in the old testament right which i think is super cool but anyways so the guru um started to be established in 1000 bc and basically had established their existence in hinduism and like opened up essentially i guess you can call them colleges or institutions but they were called uh, guru kul k-u-l okay at the end of it and this is how they were able to compose like multiple copies and transmit various 
copies of the Vetus. The Vetus, they cover topics like, it's not just religion, it's like spiritual knowledge, but also just various other arts, um, is what the Vetus cover. Like, the Vetus, it literally is like a guide to everything. Sure, it's a guide to life, yeah. But, I mean, like, everything. Mm-hmm. But by, If it was written by a god, you would think, you would <laughs> expect nothing less. I know, right? Um, but in 500 CE, or AD, whatever you want to call it, Numerous larger institutions of gurus existed in India, um, most of them near Hindu temples, and that's where the guru shisha tradition um, was like created. And that's where gurus that took on like lots of students that would live in like a temple compound monastery guru cool monastery. Yes, like there's a lot of different words that you could use depending on where you were referring to. Um, but that's where that really started to take hold um, in Hinduism is about 500 AD. There was massive temples and this was like a big booming thing where there was people everywhere that were wanting to be gurus and training at temples. And, and that came because of Buddha himself. Yeah. <clears throat> Buddha himself lived in the year like 530, 538-ish mm-hmm. um, B.C., and you said guruism started about 1,000 B.C., mm-hmm. and some say that Buddha himself is credited as being the first true guru, as one that will lead you to the spiritual light. If you're a Buddhist, that's what you <clears throat> if you were If you're a Buddhist. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I read a lot of non-Buddhist literature that said that Buddha himself is credited as being the first guru. But in those early stages, the uh, the guru would live a simple married life, so they would have wives, and they would accept that shisha, the student, if you will. They would come live in their home, and they might have several of these people living in their home, and they do almost exactly what they did in the wild, wild country, like literally chop his firewood and clean his home and you know just do all of his everyday tasks for him is like part of the duties of the service of the shisha mm-hmm. to the guru sure and so essentially same thing if it would they were living in a temple like they all do the everyday tasks and like the head monk would probably not have any tasks to do he was the enlightened one of the group sure i think such it's pretty consistent you go across a lot of different platforms of religions through history the top is going to be Watching the others that want to be to the top, whether it's a bishop or a pope or yep. is whatever, you know, that same same type of uh, structure, caste system, so to speak. Um, but that was kind of like, you know, the Hindu idea of it. But like you you mentioned Buddha. Um, so in the Vajrayana, if I'm saying that right, um, are, is what the um, Buddha's tantric teachings was called. Right. It was his uh, writing, so to speak. Exactly. Um, Vajrayana. Rayana. Varayana. I think that's right. Okay. Buddha said, or the, you know, in the Buddhist teachings, it says the rituals require a guru, um, or also known as a lama as well in Buddhism. Sure. Um, but the, the guru is considered essential. Um, and so anybody that's wanting to, um, go into certain meditation practices, you have to have a guru to just be able to do them. So, like, no one can ascend to guruhood, I guess you could say. like Without help? Without another guru. Gotcha. Like, you couldn't even get to these other levels of meditation without having another guru there to get you there. Okay. They also talk about, like, the top guru in Buddhist um, guruism is called the diamond guru, the vara guru. Sure. Heard that. 
yeah, that's uh that's a title given to people that are like considered the greatest. Yeah. Creator. But real quick about the like learning thing, about how they can't do it without help. Mm-hmm. I read something uh, it was an, in someone's intellectual article or something. Because, I mean, you can imagine the different things that we had to look up to try to get this type of information. Oh, it, yeah. was, it wasn't Wikipedia. You know, <laughs> it was different things. And stumble- Yeah, well, you come across some websites when you're looking this stuff up. Yeah, it's pretty. But it also, it's super interesting. If, you see, if you're something you're really into. But anyway, it talked about imagining a child trying to learn how to live life without a parent. How if a child was just brought into the world and they were just put into a situation and they didn't have parents to teach them how to grow up spiritually that's how we have to understand our lives and that's how we are all brought into the world children like that and that we have to have a guru Mm -hmm. like what you just said to help lead us through that so it's it it's that belief system um and it's not just kind of like some con into you can't do without help um but but it can be but it can be turned into that the uh, also in 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 Buddhism, the guru. If someone attains guruhood, you use a guru. They are considered a figure to worship, um, and if they were a guru, their instruction should never be violated. So anything they say is is law. Because essentially, it, what it takes for them to get there, you should respect their word enough. I guess is what I, you're saying. I guess so. Yeah. But according to them, the guru is the Buddha. The guru is the Dhamma, and the guru is the Lama. Um, the guru is is everything. Yes. Like, so essentially, like... And you said this is in Hinduism? This is in Buddhism. <clears throat> this okay. is where they truly believe that, you know, the body is a body, and that if someone attains guruhood or Lama or whatever, like, the, uh, like God's presence is actually present in that person and is, and is that person gotcha so therefore that person that lama that buddha that guru is god or elements of god are flowing through that person exactly yes but, but essentially like god is that in that person and so therefore you worship that person you're worshiping god correct and a couple other religions though that were kind of you know involved with guruism there's there's basically four main ones i've already said like hinduism buddhism there's uh jainism which is like a branch of Hinduism that broke off about 600 BC, you know, just like how Buddhism did. Sure. But one, and then another one is Sikhism. And this one is my favorite one because they have the coolest guru of all. All right. Okay. So they, their, their main religious guru, um, he died in 1708. And he was, according to them, the 10th reincarnation of their, I guess, original guru that founded their sect. Um, but before he died, he finished writing all the teachings down in their big fancy gold bound book um, that's called the Guru or the Guru Granth Sahib, and that okay. that was his name also the final guru that died. But it is like their focal point um, to of worship, and literally what they do is they they consider that book to be the guru because all of the teachings of the guru are written down in that book. And so he, that book is the master guru now. Wow. So, cause it's like a special gold book that he actually wrote in, I guess. So. In like the 1700s. Yeah. Okay. And they keep it in like master lockdown. There's like a person that's taking care of the book at all times and they only get it out like once a year. So like, and actually I forgot what I saw it on. I think it was a, a documentary of some stuff in India and it was showing like this process of when they bring this book out. Can you imagine the worth of a religious relic like that? 
Oh, like, oh yeah. Like it, it has its own temple, you know, of wow. course. And, um, you know, it's a small little temple on the coast and, uh, it's kept always on an altar, you know, like on a, a, a pedestal, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, it never is allowed to touch the ground. It's always, it's clothes is what they call it. Um, are changed daily. So that there's not any dust or, um, anything like that that could be accumulating on it. And, but they keep it wrapped up in clean claws that are changed daily. Wow. And they, like I said, they only haul it out once a year, uh, and for the caretaker to read from it. And of course, like ever, it's like a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Everybody commutes down there, like going to Mecca for the sure. Islam. Okay. You know, but it's like that, you know, where they just come from miles and miles around whenever they are going to bring the book out and everybody just freaks out about it. You know, it's, wow. you get to be in the presence of the guru and it just takes over everybody. That's, that's, uh, I mean, I guess it makes sense along with their belief system because they do believe that that book is God, wherever the guru is, God is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So if the guru is God, in, he's in that book, then he's in that book. And yeah. so you're treating God when you're treating that book as far as like, it's kind of like the same way uh, I guess Christianity treats the Bible and true true Christians like mm-hmm. I mean your preacher will will tell you that you know you treat that book as if it is the word of God you know mm-hmm. they they repeat that to you over and over again so I guess that's a a, a similarity there um, but of course they have copies of of that book like you know they so, have to. so they everybody ha- you know, they have copies you can have but just the original copy is of course like the holiest of things for them sure you got to get it into the homes hayden <laughs> um but so that's like the four big ones as far as major i guess you could say authenticated religions if or mainstream religions that, that mostly use gurus that, that use gurus as their holy people believe in them as yeah right. the way pretty much most of them come out of india there you know so um but there's some that don't subscribe to major religions and so um you know they're more of the the spiritual just connected with whatever you want to call just god quote unquote whatever you want to call it sure so and they're they're on a different level they're on a definitely a different level for sure um there's an old saying that in the kingdom of the blind the seeing man is king and with a highly activated sixth sense, the guru is the all-seeing person in the kingdom of the spiritually blind and ignorant. There are many aspects of God, much like there are many aspects of any form of government, right? So just like the, the, the Department of Education looks after teaching of modern sciences and mathematics and whatever, the aspect of God that looks after spiritual teaching and spiritual growth in the universe is known as the unmanifest guru which is considered the teaching principle of God. Okay. Okay. And the act and the act of this working through the spiritually evolved individuals is known as the manifest guru. So if you understand the term manifest, something manifesting itself. So it manifests itself in this person, the guru. So okay. there are two forms of the guru. There's the teaching principle of God, the unmanifest guru, and then the actual manifest. So would that guru. kind of be technically like what that book is? Yes. Okay, the unmanifest. Yes, or anything along you, anything along your journey of spirituality that is a teaching principle of God that comes into your journey. It can be a guru in a sense. 
Okay. Right? The unmanifest sense. version of a guru, whether that be a conversation that I have with someone um, that just walk, randomly walks up to me, or it be a song I hear on the radio at the right time, or you know what I mean? Oh, Any yeah. of those things that just spiritually speaks to you okay. can be considered the unmanifest guru. Like how I feel when I hear, you know... Um, Ride the Lightning by Metallica. Or Total Eclipse of the Heart. By or Total Eclipse, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, But that's what we know uh, and see as the guru in human form, the manifest guru. So the Spiritual Science Research Foundation, or the SSRF, they use a term, the term spiritual level, to describe a person's spiritual maturity or capacity. And I feel like this is important to understand how you get to guruhood. And how we are where we are I when get we there. start. Let's do it. And if you want to get to guru, <laughs> you got a long way to go. Okay? <laughs> so it acts as a scale to define spiritual growth and gives perspective on where people are in their respective journeys. The higher one's spiritual level, the greater amount of God principle that manifests in that individual. All right? Higher so, percentage, closer to God. For sure. So Buddha was considered like 100% okay. guru. So yeah. God was flowing through him at all times, and he would have the ability to perform miracles like they said that he performed. Sure. Okay. Right? Many of the readings that I um, came across stated the thing about uh, a lot of people that doubt this, uh, doubt the belief system of this, don't and try to disprove it with science, won't understand that's, that science can only uh, comprehend a fraction of what the power of God is. So the fact that science can't comprehend um, limbs being removed from someone's body and then being attached or someone levitating or all of these miracles, quote-unquote, um, their, their rebuttal to that is is that science can't explain it, and science will never be able to explain it. So that's kind of... That's a nice scapegoat. <clears throat> I guess. <laughs> it's an easy way out. But um, You guys don't know how it'll work, so there's obviously no way to prove it's wrong. So the SSRF uses the scale of... It's a very simple. I'm glad it's not complicated. It's 1 to 100%. Yeah. Okay? So it's nothing nothing crazy. But a mark at 1%... Zero being dead. Right? Yes. Because 1% would be referring to the spiritual level of an inanimate object. So like this table is a 1% spiritual <laughs> level. We got a lot of work to do to get, to get up to being a guru. So uh, while 100%, like we said, would be total self-realization or what they call being one with God. All right. Okay. So the spiritual level cannot be me- measured by any modern scientific equipment, nor can it be ascertained intellectually by any person. So only a saint or a guru can ascertain the spiritual level of a person with their highly activated sixth sense, which I said before. Um, it's a subtle perception ability that <clears throat> they can tell. They just can look at us. And just as our eyes can easily differentiate between a blue or a red object with 100% accuracy, so too can a, do- a guru define your spiritual level. He's just like, let me go look at you. Mm, 68 32 you ain't you ain't ready so and that goes along the line with one of the documentaries that we watched we'll get into into more but where they were to sit with him and he was to look at you and say whether you were ready to know the knowing is what he called it yeah were you worthy to receive it and i can tell by looking at you and that goes in line with the understandings of what a guru can do With an increase in spiritual level, one's attitude and perspective on life changes dramatically, it is said. So a person at a certain level, for example, 30%, can only relate to individuals within a few percentage points from them. 
So one's ego is tied also directly with their spiritual level, as all forms of spiritual gurus insist that the student, or what'd you call them? Shisha. Shisha. Yeah. uh, The Shisha gets out of their own way and thinks of themselves as more than just their their five senses and their mind and their intellect. They also said that in a couple of the documentaries we watched. Mm -hmm. Let get out of your mind. Yeah. Get, get, you know, be free of your mind, those types of things. There's a firm belief that we are all born with a soul that is almost immediately darkened by the world around us. It is only through spiritual practice that this darkness or ego begin to reduce to the point that we are fully able to identify with the soul within. And that's where we need the help of the guru. Again, and these are in these belief systems that we're Mm -hmm. talking about. A majority of people on earth, like around 4.7 billion people, fall into the 20% spiritual level category. There's another 2 billion that are 30 to 40. Okay. So I'll I'll get to the top. But for anyone to be considered a saint or a guru, they must be above 70% thresholds. But now I've mentioned saints twice. Saints and gurus are closely connected not all who are saints are considered gurus. The difference being that a guru is active in teaching spirituality and nurturing seekers to grow. Saints don't necessarily have to be active. Oh, okay. okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So once someone, someone's not a guru forever. Like Buddha is... A guru is only a guru if he has a shisha. Correct. That's a very good way of putting it. Less than 10% of saints living on earth are considered gurus. There's not a lot of living saints. Okay. I would say, right? And walking the earth right now... Well, it depends on, uh, like, if you're talking about, like, Catholic church saints, most people don't get sainthood until they're dead. Right, right. You Again, de- it depends on the belief system, yeah. right? And walking the earth right now, there are what I can count on my two hands that are considered true gurus. Ten of them. Ten. Ten. Ten, ten dudes out of seven billion plus that have this sixth sense that can save us all. And that's why we go searching for people like these. That's why a lot of people uh, leave their countries to go searching from uh, Osho, Bhagwan, the yeah. guy in Wild Wild Country, Rajneesh, to another one on Netflix, Enlighten Us is the name of it. It's about a self-help guru, this guy named uh, James Arthur Ray. He's a lot like Tony Robbins, if you know who Tony Robbins is. Well, we're going to get into these guys after break, but uh, two totally different types of gurus, you know? Yeah, because like you know, like I said, there's lots of there's people the, like, come from all over. There's the major religions gurus, and then there's the spiritual leader gurus that that kind of do their own thing. And uh, we're gonna get into those. Those are gonna be the fun ones. So let's take a break first because uh, PSB. Hey, how's it going, Big Red Van listeners? Uh, my name is Reese Kitts. I'm Garrett Faust. And uh, we're, we're a part of a little podcast called Decent at Best. And what Decent at Best is, is we're a podcast where we ask you guys to send us in questions at our at our email called uh, decentatbestshow at gmail.com. And whatever question you want to ask, you send it in to us, and we'll answer it live on air. And we will answer them with answers that aren't great. We don't promise they'll be good. They probably won't be bad. They'll probably be around Decent at Best. Decent at Best pretty much sums up our show. We don't Google anything. Everything is all off the top. Off the, off the top of our head. So everything we answer is going to be completely first first impression, word association. So tune in to, the, to our episodes, and we appreciate it. See you guys there. Thank you. Uh, okay. So uh, we're not going to be uh, hating on anybody here. Well, we are, but... On some people. On, on some people that deserve it, but... What we are not trying to do is hate on anyone's religious beliefs or anything like that. Once you hear through 
and you hear the people that were actually like digging on a little bit, you're going to be like, oh yeah, that, oh that that guy. Exactly. So, um, but let's start off a little bit of talking about some some better well known ones. Understanding this, they were all psychological geniuses. Exactly. Every single one of them, whether they were good or not, or they were evil, uh, they were psychological geniuses. And a lot of people believe that the good ones and the evil ones are possessed. So just with, for lack of a, for, I guess that's a very crude word of saying it. The gurus, like we explained in part one, were before the break were carrying God with them. The spirit of God was running through them, mm-hmm. right? And then people that have been known to be evil have been said to be possessed by demons, right? I mean, Hitler was talking about Jesus and everything else in his speeches, and he was mass murdering people. So, <laughs> right, you know, that's all of them understood uh, controlling the masses. They understood how to get into someone's psyche, and they understood this simple, uh, I guess, facet of psychology is despair is a prerequisite for growth. You must go through a uh, depressive type of situation to experience growth. Despair will cause growth in every scenario. There's no growth without some form of uncomfortability, whether that be physical growth, uh, you're lifting weights, and there are muscle tears, and it's uncomfortable, but then there's growth afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, whether there's emotional growth or spiritual growth, it doesn't come with some form of uncomfortability. And I think that's a basic underlying message when it comes to controlling people, getting into people's heads, that all of these people we're going to go into understood, mm-hmm. and they all put them into... There's going situ- to be some things that suck that you got to do, but it's all it's all going to pay off. It's all end. for growth. Yeah. It's all for realization, mm-hmm. self-realization, becoming closer to God. All of them had that underlying premise, and therefore they had devoted following. So let's start with one. You said something about the diamond uh, guru, right? Yeah, <clears throat> diamond guru. So the last diamond guru for us to know about or to, to walk the earth because they believe in Hinduism and reincarnation. We hinted towards that. Mm-hmm. They uh, believe that their gurus or their gods have been back many times to see them so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sai Baba of Shirdi, who lived in the 1800s and died around 1914, is said to be the one true Sai Baba. He's labeled as creator, sustainer, and destroyer of the universe and has ref- been referred to, like I said, as the diamond of all gurus in history. So uh, maybe even compared to Buddha himself, as far as Buddhism goes. Dang! Right? His claimed miracles are incredible. I told you a, l- a couple, little bit of this off air, but ranging from bilocation, which bilocation simply means the ability to be in two places at one time. Have you seen the new Star Wars yet? No. Okay, so that's what Luke Skywalker does. So he's obviously a guru. Right. He He's attained a certain level of spiritual status, right? I mean, he's pretty much the baddest Jedi. I mean, <laughs> I mean what you going to say? He's like a 99 percenter, man. He's definitely a 99 percenter. He's up there. But they're by location to materialization of things, like materializing something out of thin air uh, or making a person or someone appear, you know, totally out of nothing, uh, curing the incurably sick. Um, but I, overall, his main message was that of realization of the self. Like I said before, he criticized love of uh, perishable things. So he also condemned a distinction of any particular uh, religion or caste system. So he was all about 
furthering yourself mm-hmm. will get you closer to God. And getting aside uh, your ego, like I said before, uh, the darkness, getting beside the darkness will further your ability to get closer to yourself, realize yourself. Mm-hmm. So, and he was seen because of his teachings and all that to be the last true great one, right? Then there's Satya Sai Baba. So I heard about Satya Sai Baba. I heard that name when I was a kid. Then, mm-hmm. And when we started doing this research, that was the only thing out of all of this that like rang any kind of bell well, with me. When you, when you mentioned Sai Baba before we did this, I was like, I think I know that too. And then when you showed me his picture with his fro, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, that guy. That guy. Yeah. The I remember rock him. star yeah. guy, you know, of it. And he's a self-proclaimed guru and said to be the reincarnation of this guy, Sai Baba of Shirdi, right? But he said that himself. He's said to have the spirit of God flo- flowing through him. And he proclaimed this, what, when he was like, what, 14? Yeah. that or I think his, his backstory was he... Got stung by a scorpion, and he, like, was coming in and out of conscious consciousness for, like, three or four days. Like, he was, like, it was one of those kinds of scorpions where, like, could have killed you. And uh, whenever he finally came to, he had, like, a realization and, like, an enlightenment or whatever you want to call it. And he just pro- proclaimed that that was who he was now. Well, he's both revered and criticized for the miracles that he performed. Um, but most interesting to me, to me, was how he said was said to make psycho brand watches materialize out of thin air and just appear, right? And then, like, I don't know what happened and made it these psycho brand watches, but it was very Yo, specific. Man, can you hook me up with the Rolex? Because he instead? did it like more than once, and every time he did it, it was a particular brand of watch. And then he ended up getting a deal with Psycho, so. <laughs> It's one of those things that questionable eh, a tad. But in, in prep for this, I also ran across a bunch of uh, Sai Baba you know, articles and stuff about like how he's a fraud and why he's a fraud and how he's a fraud. There was a lot of the, he got sued like four or five times. Oh, I mean, a few of the like videos that these articles had with them were like, oh my god, yes, like right. I mean, his sleight of hand was sloppy, and you could see everything like. All of his, like, quote-unquote miracles of making things appear out of nowhere, like the, the original. Um, he had great it, contacts, though, man. I mean, yeah. I mean, I fe- apparently, he also did a lot of good things. Like, he did a lot of philanthropist work and et cetera. His organization was, like, $500 million in assets. Oh, yeah. But, like, but it's also, like, how did he get there? He got there by kind of being a little shady. A little. But, uh, like, Psycho watches. And then, like, I'm so- there's a video of him, like regurgitating because that's one of his miracles is regurgitating like holy objects so he's like sitting in a chair in front of an audience and he's like you know like acting like he's gagging on something and then he like spits out a little spit and then throws up a napkin in front of his mouth and is like and all of a sudden he's got this golden uh relic in his hand (laughs) and people bought it oh yeah dude like the crowd is like oh like cheering and on and ooing to the fact that he just made this holy relic appear and like in the slow motion footage like the really good nice zoomed in like he doesn't even open his mouth like it's just literally like it's clearly the thing that you're he's pulling out of his mouth is in the tissue that he has or in the it's like a full dinner cloth okay (laughs) he it's like plenty of hiding space like it's in that cloth and he just spits into the cloth 
and then just opens a cloth and then it's like, oh, look at this, you know? <laughs> and then like, hot. He got it Apparently up. had this uh, miracle that he would do in crowds of people where he would, um, like, they would hold out their palms, like, for, like, a blessing, like, almost like a, like a Catholic mass, like, where you could hold your hand out to get the communion thing, or you can have them stick it on your tongue, but sure. people would hold out their hand, like, yeah. communion, and uh, he would, like, touch their palms and leave ash, and it was like he would make this ash come out of nowhere. Like he had like almost like he was burning them or something. I don't know what it, exactly the point of it was, but he would, um, you know, it would show him in like walking through crowds of people and they're all holding out their hands and stuff. And he's like looking at, and he won't do it for everybody, you know, but he'll like look at somebody and be like, yeah, you, and and just touch their hand and leave ash in their hand. Like it came out of nowhere out of his fingertips. And then it showed in all these like different angles, slide of hand things where he was pulling these little uh, ash balls that he was like basically take ash, compress it into a little ball where it was nice and tight to where it would stay together and he would hide it between like the knuckles of his fingers and whenever he would need one he would just pull it out, smash it with his thumb as he's touching their hand and it would make this ash dust come out of his <laughs> fingertips. So I mean like that dude was like running some tricks. Absolutely. Like for real. And like caught on tape and like still was just a rock star. And that was when in the eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. The uh the British did not like him. They came out with a full on doc that's where most of the information I just got. The they, BBC. Yeah, they came out with a big full on documentary on um uh on him and like it was also like a running of documentaries of like false guru cults and stuff like that were starting and britain was trying to you know inform the public like i guess but it was like a whole series of documentaries and he was one of them wow well yeah he uh definitely controversial like i said uh his foundations he's very well connected in india you know cricket in india is like soccer in europe which is like football in america Mm -hmm. and uh he had the world's top cricket player which was a follower of his so i mean he was very well connect connected in india Mm -hmm. and uh yeah like i said 500 million dollars in assets to his stuff so he's still able to skirt through all those investigative journalists because there were many there were well and that's exactly uh, and we'll, we'll talk about this on for the next few that we talk about but the money that dude had a lot of money because he had a lot of followers that would just openly give him money his a charitable organization that he yeah, would run that and cricket stuff like guy that. I was just mentioning he gave him like one point three billion dollars. The founder of Hard Rock Cafe donated a hundred and three million dollars to him. Wow. But you know what <clears> I mean? Like people would just, these people we're talking about just have a way about getting people to just give them money. Like almost like better than like Christian churches in America get people to give them money. Like ha- these people get people to give them money. Yeah. Like it's crazy how much money they a- attain. Well, let's talk about another one. Osho. Boom. <clears throat> Bogwan. <laughs> Bogwan Rajnesh. Well, what was his last name? Uh, <clears throat> well, his, his born name was Raja. So that's where the Rajnesh comes from. But uh, I forget his like actual last name. Either way, Osho is what he, he is he, known as. He you know, names now. himself Bogwan when he was, uh, I think, which just means God. Which yeah, which means God, right? But uh, man, if you haven't watched that documentary from Wild Wild Country, yeah, you need to watch that. Um, he led a sect of believers to a realization of oneself with God through him, 
as he was said to have the God of knowledge resting on his tongue by the age of 14. Mm -hmm. So raised up in India. I don't want to give away the um, documentary because it's so interesting. I want you to watch it. I don't want us to get into too much about him. But he moved his commune from India to Oregon uh, to build and live in a fully self-sustaining city. Had prophecies of this city coming together, and it was happening. So, and then a bunch of crazy stuff went down. So, again, we're not going to give it away, but his teachings are still a focus today with somewhere in the neighborhood of 500,000 followers of practicing his way to live your life. So, we strongly, strongly urge you to watch the documentary, um, but it didn't end well. Is kind of, no, you know, it did and, not. but his teachings still go on today is kind of a way to look at it. And even um, people that uh, have seen him, have been around him, have all said of this aura that he had. And, you know, he is, is said to have had reached certain uh, spiritual level. Well, so. I, uh, me and you had this conversation. This is what I'll leave my opinion with that documentary. For the listeners to assert from them, because no matter if even if the, you listen to this episode and it's two years old, you still need to go back and watch Wild Wild Country. It's good. So my opinion is that the only reason that these people were being persecuted was because the people that were there didn't like them, and so they tried to use odd reasons to get rid of them, and only because they used all these reasons to try and get rid of them did they do the things that they did wrong. Had the persecution not have happened in the beginning, all the wrongdoings that they do throughout the the history of their existence wouldn't have had to happen had they not been persecuted in the first place. Sure. And I think that's a very interesting angle to think about that because other than that, I feel like they didn't seem like the people involved didn't seem like people that were up to no good. Um, and almost not even, uh, the Bogwan himself almost doesn't even seem to be a criminal involvement of anything. So, I mean, cause you know, they had the tapes of him. So, you know, I'm just, yeah. and I mean, if there was incriminating evidence, you'd think they would have found that in there for sure. Um, let's not give too much away. Yeah. So I, that's my point. A little bit of point on that. Like, there's some crazy stuff that happens to them. I think that's why there's still half a million people practicing is because the belief the, system the belief didn't really have an issue. It was just that that place had an issue. Right. So, yeah. And I mean, there's uh, a documentary can show you one side, you right. know, sometimes it can show you the other side. It can show you, sometimes they do a good job of showing you both. There's actually two more documentaries about it. So if you're also into it a lot, the Amazon prime, you're a prime member there's two out there um of course all you got to do is type in rajneesh and you'll find it but um but yeah they're really good as well and they kind of fill in a few of the gaps and it's based on a true story it happened in the united states man and i had no idea about this at all until i watched the documentary as many things as i've heard about in history and read about or whatever never had i heard about this i know it was incredible incredible so let's move on from that to uh, um, uh, Michelle, Michelle. Andreas. Oh, I know that guy. He's a nihilist. That guy. That guy. That was a... The, uh, let me tell you how the rabbit hole started of me coming across that one. So we're just... Me and Deanne are sitting on the couch, and we had just watched Wild Wild Country. And we Say were, what you want about this one, by we, the way. And we were itching 
um, for another like cult documentary. And so of course she stumbles Same. across stumbles across a like BuzzFeed article that's like ten cult documentaries on Netflix you need to watch right now. And we were like, Oh, perfect. You know, so we start going down the list. Some of them were nonsense and silly things, but there was a few on there that were ended up being great. One of them being Holy Hell with Incredible. Uh, Mr. Andreas. Michel. Otherwise known as his stage name, Michel. Yeah. <laughs> but that guy, um, so I guess he was... What do you a, even say about this guy? Uh, He's a madman? Narcissist. Yes. This is somebody that took the understanding of how to manipulate people through a religion set, a religious setting like Buddhist meditation and stuff like that and grip a hold of a bunch of people. And like, do it one in, by one. In the worst ways. Right. So he's one of the ones with not a happy ending. He's a nihilist. <laughs> yeah. like we said. I mean, it's very, very much a psychological assassin, you know, like and did it one by one. You know, he could do it in a group setting to get everyone bought into the same type of system. And then when he had one on one meetings with people, man, it was. Eek. Yeah. And some then, of the recordings that they present to you in that documentary of like his conversations with people during their uh, therapy, quote unquote therapy. Yeah. I mean, is astonishing. Um, again, I don't want to give away anything from that one either, but I mean, he is a definitely not a religious teacher. He's obviously doing it to his own financial gain and his own sexual gain. I guess, if you will. Yeah, see, and it's funny. The sexuals, this is, we're what, 40-something minutes in? And this is the first time the word sexual has even been mentioned. And I think that's interesting because when I was, I guess, coming up and I ever heard the word guru in the past, I always, for some reason, just subconsciously uh, linked a sexual connotation to a guru. And then um, you and I have mentioned this before, but like Kama Sutra, is linked to that type of, I guess, belief system. The tantric Buddhist. Um, or no, I guess the Kama Sutra was Hindu, right? Or from a Hindu text? I think it's Hindu. Okay. Um, but they, again, they believed in gurus. And I don't necessarily know if gurus believed in Kama Sutra, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did, I guess. Well, and I mean, then, that was also one of the things that uh, the Bhagwan was... Uh, very open about sexuality. Whereas <laughs> the other... Um, guru, gurus, if you will, were celibate and like against having, you know, you monks had, are very celibate. You yeah, know, the meditation you could achieve was greater than sex. Well, sexual release, like sex, was bad energy. Yeah, apparently that's yeah. what Michelle would tell people. Yeah, while he was banging them in the back room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, behind curtains. So uh, that was a good one. I said, say what you want about that one because. Uh, uh, we can't really have an episode if we're just going to sugarcoat stuff. You oh, know? no. But He's wild, an animal. Wild Wild Country is worth watching. Um, then we get into a couple more well-known ones through history. Hey, Dro. Um, I've always liked that nickname for you, by the way. Hey, Dro. Yeah. Um, Jim Jones. Oh, Jim man. Jones and the Jonestown Massacre. So what do you, uh, what what? Do you know about Jonestown? I bet you there's – didn't you say that there was a conversation you had with a young lady at work? <laughs> that she's in her early 20s, and you mentioned Jonestown to her and Waco to her, and she was like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, and I bet that's a very common, common Especially response. for younger folks, because I was sitting there, th- and I also put it in perspective. I was like, well, 
like when I was a little kid, these things were still fresh. Like people still talked about these things all the time. Like, you know, you know what? I can't think of a good example of like something. There wasn't a twenty-four hour news cycle when we were ha- when we were young. That's also true. A news story was allowed to be a news story for a couple months, mm-hmm. and that's that's something where it was able to resonate with us. And there were a few few things from our childhood that really stood out that didn't have to be extremely massive, I guess, events. But well, they were kind of massive. These are massive. Yeah, like I mean, they were they were a little bit separated as far as like timeline goes, but both were still fresh in our uh, our childhood memories. I mean, I knew what they were, but uh, up until one, the other was the biggest in history. You know, like yeah, a, oh, yeah, a, a Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown. Yeah, Jonestown was the most American lives lost that were civilians. Obviously, Pearl Harbor had more loss, but it was uh, um, military personnel. But the largest civilian lives, lives lost in history up until nine eleven. Wow! Um, for American lives lost of civilians That's in crazy. one in one thing happening. So you have the deets of it. So it was, um, you know, the M- Mr. Jones. He Jim Jones. Mr. Jim Jones. He took his followers, who were a socialist slash communist slash Pentecostal Christian um, group that he was the like supreme leader of. Elvis lookalike leader of. Elvis lookalike. <laughs> yes, he yeah. had that slick hair. Mm-hmm. The whole. I mean, loved to yell. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, his his speeches remind me of. Like, he really, him. really loved to sweat. You know, like Elvis did. He sweated just like Elvis. I was going to say his speeches reminded me a lot of like a Hitler speech Mm -hmm. where he would like yell and scream and slap stuff Mm -hmm. and be sweating. You know, like that's your hundred. That's exactly what I picture. Very sweaty man. Very, very glistening man. But um, essentially what he did is he moved everyone to northern uh, Guyana. Yeah. Africa. To start their agricultural um, commune Mm -hmm. is what they were calling it. How many people did he take with him? Um, I mean, it was a thousand or more people. That was a bunch, man. Um, but so what they basically they were under pressure with the um, with governments, and so a congressman from uh, California who was uh, trying to investigate something along those lines, but he was down there trying to find ways to shut these people down, and um, they kill him like on camera, kill him. Like, he gets off his plane. <clears throat> Is that what he was doing? I thought he was there to uh, just see how it was going and see if they were allowed to get some funding or something like that and ended up deciding on shutting them down. I th- Maybe that was it. And, and then I because they knew, he, he was giving that interview to that Yeah, the camera. news was there. And yeah. He was giving an interview on camera. Before he got on the plane saying, I'm shutting them down. Yeah, and like assassins from like the Like, I'm commune. shutting down the studio. Like Pete, like Pete Diddy on the show. <laughs> shutting show. down the studio. <laughs> but they come and assassinate him on the airstrip before yeah, he gets man. on his plane to leave, which triggers the mass suicide of all 918 people that decided to stay because 18 people left right when the writing was on the wall. Like, they were like, peace, we're out of here. Like, 18 people, like, bounced. Um, and they just took their chances in the jungles of Guyana. Exactly. They just got the hell out of there. They yeah. saw the writing on the wall like, uh, we're about to all die. All right. And we're not really actually into that part of this. I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, yo. Um, but they did once. So this, listen to how messed up this is. Oh, okay? dude, he had to have practice. 
I'm sure he did practice. They rounds. did. They they had all these different uh, meetings and votes about agreeing to mass suicide if it came to that. And then they even did a practice round that they didn't know was just a test. He literally said, today's the day. We're doing it right now. And everybody lined up. Everybody got their cup of Kool-Aid. They all drank their Kool-Aid and then laid down in their spot. And then after 45 minutes went by, he said, this was just a test to see if you guys were all loyal. And I know you are now. And Whoa. Yeah. <clears throat> that happened like a week or two before they actually did it. And so that way he knew that if he gave the order for them to do it, that they would actually do it. And they did. Wow. Other, and his reasoning for them doing it was what? Um, revolutionary suicide. Because if they, he, he claimed, because they were, he claimed that the fascist CIA propagandist pigs, as he was be quoted oh, they were to say, yeah. um, were going to come and kill them all and steal all their children and turn them into fascists. That was what he was making his people believe through his, you know, internal propaganda and brainwashing techniques, brainwashing, absolute brainwashing techniques, but still to where he was the guru as the, the trend is going of his sect of religion. Like they looked upon him as the word of God, the word of God. Absolutely. God was channeling through him and speaking to them directly. Mm -hmm. And so people just, ate it up because that's if that's what god is saying then it must be true right you know and um so they here's my favorite part okay so the congressman leo ryan got murdered all that's crazy you know before they committed suicide you know it was horrifying but the money of everyone that was there okay so mr jones already had a plan for that so he had already organized everybody's belongings and money and all their possessions, um, mostly basically cash, and had it all loaded up in suitcases, everything. And he had assigned three guys that were not going to kill themselves, that they had a specific mission where they had to take all of this money, um, as well as documents for all these different accounts that had money in them, to the local Russian consulate that was in Guyana and give it as a gift to the Russian government. The letter that was sent with it was, um, which they had a, uh, a, a contact um, already in Russia, Mr. Timofeyev. But it says, Dear Comrade Timofeyev, the following is a letter of instructions regarding all of our assets that we want to leave to the Communist Party of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Enclosed in this letter are letters which instruct the banks to send cashier's checks to you I am doing this on behalf of the People's Temple because we as a communist or because we as communists want our money to be the benefit for help to oppressed peoples all over the world in any way that your decision making body sees fit. So Whoa. That was also part of Mr. Jones's big master plan was to take everybody's money and then give it to the Russians. Well, I'm sure he had to have some kind of backing to to clear and do what he did and all that. He had to get his A K forty sevens from somewhere. But, I mean, is that not just... Wow. I never knew that specific part of it until I was researching this, and I was like, whoa. I did not know that he was trying to get... It, it was unsuccessful, by the way. The three dudes also basically defected, and... Or not... I don't think they defected, but they got caught immediately, because 
they had, uh, I think it was 127 miles through the jungle, like you said, mm-hmm. to get to the Russian consulate, and all they had was like a jeep and all those suitcases and everything like that. And it's like, you think the CIA isn't going to find you like real quick? You know, through 127 miles, are you trying to get through the jungle? Like they're going to find you. And we they, would, and we they, would hope, and they did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, dude, that Jonestown yeah. was crazy because like there's that famous aerial shot of the helicopter flying over the compound yeah where i said 918 people died dude of 918 people because what they did is they drank it and they walked outside and they found their little square on the grass in the yard out in front of the big main building and they lay down and so there's just like literally a thousand people laying dead out in this big grass courtyard it's crazy it's wild it really is crazy and they did it willingly yeah willingly well willingly under under trance maybe Mm -hmm. because that that kind of stuff is kind of what all these people bought into like we said earlier and then david koresh was the same type of thing except he had a much smaller um commune of people and it was they believed him to be like jesus christ right uh, something along those lines. Yeah, like he was. I guess a similar, similar fashion for uh, a crude, a crude uh, comparison. But. I think I would consider. I think he was more on the uh, the level of elevated pastor. But uh, I don't. I don't know if he. We we put him on the list of being manipulative guru. Yeah, of course. Well, people saw the way through to Christ through him. Yeah, I guess that was that's in that would qualify you as a guru in pop culture terms, not a guru in the literal sense of the term, because there's no way David Koresh was at a seventy percent spiritual level. <laughs> he can't bilocate. <laughs> He'd have taken his ass out of that Branch Davidian place, and as soon as the FBI threw that flashbang. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because we, we can't talk about all these these wild things without talking about Waco. Waco so. was crazy, man. I remember it. It was in 1993. The, I feel like the year 1993 was an absolutely crazy year. It was like OJ. It was Branch Davidian. It was uh, crazy, crazy ice storms, crazy... Um, floods. There was uh, it, 1993 was a weird, crazy year. A lot of weird things going on. Maybe it was just something in the way the stars were aligned in the universe <laughs> and all that stuff. But um, David Koresh, who was a like I said, a, for a crude comparison, a Christ-like leader to his followers. He had uh, many wives, and he moved to this uh, compound in Waco, Texas. And you've got like with with barbed wire walls, like I mean, like a compound. No, but, but they and they heavily armed themselves. Yeah, and it was like a, a militia type of thing, is the way it was looked at from the outside looking in mm-hmm. by the authorities. They looked at them as militia cult, is what they looked at them as. Oh yeah. And then when they got resistance and uh, allegations of abuse and all that coming, it was uh, time to go knock on the door. <clears throat> And they knocked on the door, and they got met with gunfire. And then uh, it's... Uh, I mean, you, you can see well, footage of things that happened, but one story to the other of what was said and how it actually went down. But the FBI... Um, I think it was the FBI was the yeah. force, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the FBI was the ones that did it, and they ended up throwing a grenade or a flashbang or it tear was a, gas. It, it was a flashbang. Something went off and started a fire, and because they weren't coming out. Like, that's the thing, is people are like, it's the FBI's fault, where it was Koresh's call to tell the people not to leave. Like, you're not you're not gonna leave we're gonna die in here like mm-hmm. we're we're not if even if we have to suffocate and it was his call there's a lot of kids that died and you know it was you can choose who you're gonna blame in in that scenario 
Yeah. Uh, but Kenny definitely had people brainwashed. And, uh, yeah, that uh, was, uh, 76 people died. Dude, the, the standoff, like you were talking about, they, crazy. Uh, lots of footage of it too. They, um, it was 51 days long. Like when you talk about the FBI first went and the, prover- they screwed the proverbi- with them so bad, the proverbial knocking on the door met with gunfire. Like mm-hmm. that was, de- that was essentially day one. Mm-hmm. And then 50, it took 51 days later before they went in with like the, the tank, you know, where they rolled up to the front door and then launched the flashbangs and then did the full on raid. And that's when it caught on fire and they tried to evacuate and the people wouldn't evacuate. Right. And they're like, get, get out. And they decided not to, they didn't want to, um, well, they were ordered not to almost, you know, so yeah, well, of course they were ordered not to, I guess some people left, but not all of them. I feel like is, I feel like some people got out or they drove some people out. (laughs) It's crazy though. It's fresh in the mind, you know? And it was a crazy year. And then there is, uh, we can move on to the self-help gurus. When you think of self-help guru, who do you think of? Like Tony Robbins? Tony Robbins. Why Tony Robbins? <laughs> just because he's the face. I mean, every you can just, everybody knows his face. Whether you know his name or what he does, he's one of those faces that you know his face. You see his face and you're like, that's the like best motivational speaker I know of all time. Yeah. yeah. I know exactly who that guy is. And if you don't know, go watch the first five minutes of his new Netflix special and you'll probably fall in love with him because that's just how he is. He will own you and psychologically in like, uh, I don't know, set the over under three minutes. Spend time oh, in a room yeah. with Tony Robbins, look him in the eye for three minutes. He's going to own you. I bet he could sell anything to anybody. Yeah. I'm serious. Well, let's, let's put there's a lot did. of people. He did do that. <laughs> He's like worth a billion dollars or something like that. There's a, a lot of people that would be very intimidated to sit in a room alone with him one on one and just let him talk, look you in the eye and talk to you. I would like have, he's probably one of those people I would like, I would have to test him and like, I might have to like look away. Like, no, you no, can't no, look no. away. <laughs> that's like a rule. You can't look away from a guy like that. Cause that's like part of his shtick is he's, he's in you mm. in that moment. He is in your head in that moment. So, um, but this guy, James Arthur Ray, there is another documentary on Netflix. This is, we need to be sponsored by Netflix, Dan. We are just promoting the hell out At of At least them. give me a discount. Give me a free account. Right. So, uh, this guy, James Arthur Ray was a rock star and I didn't know his name at the time, but I knew his face. And when I saw the documentary, Enlighten Me is the name of it. And I saw footage of him being on the Oprah show. My mom was like huge into Oprah. Oh, of course. Of course. So uh, I saw a lot of Oprah episodes. And I saw him because he was pumped by Oprah. He was ended up being one of those that Oprah like, caught on to. It's like how Ellen is today. If you're a, a white lady that's at home during the daytime, you probably are watching Ellen. Yeah. Yeah, more, <laughs> more than likely. I mean, that's how Oprah was. Exactly. And But she was still bigger than Ellen. You know oh, yeah, I mean? of course. Yeah. Oh, it's un- it's unreal what Oprah was. I just was. meant Oprah's off the air now, so now the, the show... Of, that's the comparison. It's, it's Ellen now. Yeah, yeah, that's the comparison. But I remember his face. Anyway, I watched the story of him, and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't realize that about him. So he was a real uh, in-your-face kind of um, motivational speaker and self-help guru. Basically tried anything that he could and did everything he could to push you to your absolute limit and make you break down boundaries and have you see that you are capable for far more than what you think you are capable of and a real self-realization guru right Mm -hmm. very much into the psychology of how to communicate from one person to another a message or a um, a certain vibe and in in really into energy and things like that it ended with him 
having three people die in a sweat lodge tent type of experiment. So he did these uh, retreats. Like where, he cooked them? Uh, yeah, they cooked. And so he did these retreats. Like uh, It's like a five-day retreat where you would pay like $10,000. Sort of like Michelle and the knowing. Yeah, see, a lot of things with him was, was with money, right? And for me, I knew it was driven a lot by money. But uh, he had people pay $10,000 and they would come to this camp basically for like five days and it's like a spiritual growth camp and the fifth day they go through all these crazy things to push you through boundaries and the fifth day was you go into this sweat lodge like an old Indian that's like yeah, a yeah. Indian style sweat lodge where they it's built it's like, just like it's it it's like a clay teepee but it was like covered in like plastic like tarps okay like mm-hmm. plastic tarps no zero ventilation, like no holes poked in the tarp or anything. And they would bring in hot coals, like hot rocks, and yeah. set them in the middle and just heat it up and bring them in more and more and more. Or you put them in like buckets of shallow water and it makes the water steam and heat up. And Well, they, they would just put the rocks in there by themselves first is the way that this guy did it. And okay. then he would that would be stage by stage. You know, for five minutes it'd be so hot and they'd bring in more and it'd be hotter and they'd bring in more and it'd be hotter. And then a part of it was him pouring a bucket of water on the rocks to create the steam to fill in the air. And it was just all part of it. Apparently, he'd been doing this for years. Well, this one particular time, people are seriously freaking out about it, begging for his help. And he's like, no, 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 they'll be fine. They've been through this before. And three people end up dying. And he ends up going to jail for a while and gets out of jail. And now he is still standing behind like his methods of pushing people to the brink so that they can see. And like I said, at the very beginning of this, despair is a prerequisite for growth. And all of them understood that it is a experience of something that is depression-like that will bring you to a higher level on the other side. Mm. And it's literally where the um, phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, comes from. And it's this long-rooted belief that gurus have been touting since 1000 BC. Mm-hmm. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And how to realize who you are and things like that is something that's really neat. And that's kind of how we got to our episode tonight was just at mine and your fundamental um, interest in people and what we are, who we are, why we do what we do, and how could they get so bamboozled by this one person mm. and what about the human element makes us so uh thirst the need to have someone guide us and lead us and um, as opposed to a desire to figure it out on our own um well i mean like uh that i think the the fact that you and i have a mutual interest in that is I what think brought tonight this episode about people about. argue this uh this fact that it's like part of our just like evolutionary makeup like in the sense that um humans survive better in groups so therefore evolutionarily we are designed to want to be with another group and so when you find a group that accepts you you get luck you get locked into that group much easier like your brain wants to be part of another group absolutely you, you absolutely that's why politics is so polarized lately people just get so 
ingrained into their group that all other groups are bad, you know, and only your group is right. And it doesn't matter what your group says or does. You're still sticking by your group through thick and thin. You know, and I guess by a function of a group, said group has to have a leader. Exactly. So that I guess that makes sense. Most now. of the time. Like the, if there is a tribe, generally there's probably a leader of that tribe and you follow that leader of the tribe. Or it's a dysfunctional group. Exactly. Yeah. Where there's people competing, then you don't live as long. Like, like I said, almost all of these things are typically probably like are part of our evolutionary makeup of just how we were able to survive is by grouping up and essentially probably having one person designated as being in charge, and we listen to that person. Because if you had different people all trying to run the group, there's probably going to be chaos, and your group doesn't last. You know, like, things like that. Like, And what you speaking of the evolutionary process makes me think of the fact that by about 1,000 B.C. was when man had evolved to the point where we were asking questions of ourselves to the point to where we needed help for the answers. Mm-hmm. If you think of it that way, like we had evolved finally from what we were developing the wheel mm-hmm. <laughs> to finally having the brain power and the ability to wonder what we were, who we were spiritually, where do we belong and what is our place in the universe? Because I guess by association, we were not able to believe that or think that way in the very beginning. If you believe in the evolutionary process of the brain. Right. You know, we we weren't born. There had to be a point where we were like. Where our thoughts what were very if, what simple. Is, what am I? You where our I mean? thoughts were very simple. They were very animalistic, so to speak. They were very process driven. Get this done. Get that done. They mm-hmm. weren't um, con, um, abstract and conceptual in terms of, like you said, what am I? Who am I? Who will I be? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the creator? I'm sure at the very beginning stages, there, that thought was... There was hard, a lot of black and white in the early hard, stages. hard for that thought to enter the brain. <laughs> Which would, again, that would make sense because it's not like all of a sudden we just need a guru. Right. You know? But we... The part of the human element is that we want to be guided. We want to be taught. You and I know that as leaders in our industry, that people want direction. Mm-hmm. If you want someone to do a good job, give them a good job to do. Is something that you and I say back and, and forth a lot. And they want to be included. Uh, they want inclusion is very important. So that's uh, it's a basic pillar of leadership. And so all these great people that uh, guru their way to the top, they are able to play that game very, very, good, very bad, well. or otherwise. Good, ones, bad, or otherwise. I've read a couple. The, some of the reading that I had said that there are many people that start out as good, wholesome gurus that get turned bad by the money and the fame. And I, I think that that's something that you and I f- both saw in both documentaries and in our reading. Yeah. That that happens. That's how I feel about the Bhagwan. I don't yeah. know. I, I'm not 100% on the Bhagwan was bad. I'm I don't know s- that the I'm Bhagwan s- himself was bad. That's what I, I mean. think the people around him got corrupted. Yeah, the few higher-ups that he had in his inner circle did some things. Yeah. But uh, his followers and him himself, I don't... I feel like they're just doing their thing, you know? Like, trying to... I mean, he was making money. Don't get me wrong. Well, I mean, whatever religious <laughs> he beliefs... He was making money. Whatever religious beliefs you have, whether it be Christian beliefs or these Hindu or Buddhist beliefs that we talked about tonight, um, it's, uh, we are all born in the darkness, so to speak. We are all born to sin in Christian belief, and we are all born in a spiritual ignorance or a spiritual darkness in Buddhist or Hindu beliefs. 
So all of us are that way, trying to start from ground zero. You start zero. off when you're born, and then you got some work to you do. You got works to do. So you got to lift weights. <laughs> so uh, this was fun, man. I appreciated this episode. It was intellectually challenging for us in terms of our research, in terms of our delivery. I know we didn't do it perfectly, but I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope you're going to go watch Wild Country. Follow it up with anything of your choice, but Holy Hell is really good. Oh, yeah. you The Wild Wild Country, Holy Hell, uh, Ruby Ridge about the family. I know we didn't talk about that, but that's a super good one that's on Netflix right now. Of course. Um, Waco. And Waco. Yep. Yep. Waco's on there. And then you can watch Enlighten Us, and you can watch some others, but... My uh, next one on my list is... Uh, Deprogrammed is deprogrammed where I'm going. Yeah. and um, Scientology. There you go. I've seen a bunch on them. I've seen a lot of. Leah I, th- I think it's, it's called. Um, uh, I forgot what it's called. It's in my. It's on my list. The <laughs> reason that I, we are super interested in it is we are super interested in people, and oh yeah, that's the good underlying force. So that was like when we watched. Uh, we decided to watch the push. Yeah. Uh, I, I that I just we'll get into in another episode. Yeah, but, but yes, yeah, the push. Watch it, Netflix. Send us a check, yo. Thank you guys for listening. This was a ton of fun. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Send us a review on iTunes if you did. Send us an email. Post us something on Twitter. We really appreciate you listening. We definitely are going to catch you on the next one.